Hello and welcome to the Early Education Show. This is episode 82. Um, it's just me here for the intro. Uh, Leanne and Lisa are both taking some very well-deserved extra time off, but luckily you won't be hearing just my voice uh, this episode. I'm actually here recording at uh, Australian Parliament House, um, and uh, later on you'll be hearing an interview I conducted uh, today, uh, as I record this on a Thursday, with Amanda Rishworth, Labor's Shadow Early Education Minister. We discussed Labor's recent policy announcements regarding three-year-old preschool and free TAFE places for studying educators, um, as well as their recent plan to ban enrolment inducements. Um, after that, we will then go to a chat I had with Megan O'Connell, the director of the Mitchell Institute. Um, Megan helped me break down the new policies and what they mean for the sector. Um, before we go to those discussions, though, I just wanted to say a big thank you to Child Australia and all the attendees at the Little People Big Dreams conference last weekend. Uh, Lisa, Leanne and I all felt incredibly welcome, and we had a great time. We'll probably chat a bit more about that next week um, if we're all back together. Um, I also just wanted to do a small bit of self-promotion. Um, as part of my day job, I'm the editor of The Framework, a news and analysis site on everything to do with the early education sector. Um, just like the early education show, it's free and it's really focused on educators and professionals directly working in the sector. Um, up on the site, we've just launched a new retrospective series, the EYLF at 10. Um, October actually marks 10 years since the EYLF started to be developed. And I've been chatting to many of the original members of the consortium that were part of creating it. Uh, the first interview with Dr. Ann Kennedy is up already, and we'll have more interviews up every one or two weeks. I'd really recommend checking it out, which you can do at the-framework.org. Um, one last thing before we go into the main bit of the episode. Um, people may have noticed a lot of advocacy recently around uh, the children in immigration detention on Nauru. It's really kind of reached a big uh, tipping point. So if you're listening to this on you know, Friday morning, I'd really recommend heading to uh, www.kidsoffnauru.com forward slash call and call your local MP about this. This is a time when advocacy can really make a change. All right, enough from me. Let's go to that interview with Amanda Rishworth and then we'll hear from Megan O'Connell. Shadow Minister for Early Education, Amanda Richard, welcome back to the Early Education Show. Well, it's great to be here. I think the last time I was here, it was like my first job, first week into the job. I think we may have, her was pretty mean of us, wasn't it? Yeah. You, did a, you did a fantastic job, though. Um, but we're here, it's actually great to be back with you. We've got a, we've got a few things to talk about now. I was just um, telling you before we started recording, you kept us very busy over the last few weeks, which we like to be, which is Absolutely. fine. Um, so the Labor Party has come out recently and made um, actually a number of fairly significant announcements in the early education space. Um, I, you know, as a particularly for the listeners of this show, we're probably most interested in the announcement around three-year-old preschool. This has been building for a while, and it's great to see, um, you know, Labor come out and make an announcement. Can you, I guess, run us through the, the policy? Yeah, so look, what we um, know, and, you know, obviously those in the sector have been pushing this for some time, the evidence is in that preparation for the two years before school is critically important to, you know, later achievement at school, but also social outcomes as well. So um, uh, the sector know uh, too well how important this is. So that's why Labor has announced that we will not only guarantee the funding for four-year-olds in a permanent way so that centres can plan for the future, but we'll extend that funding to three-year-olds. So really important announcement. Um, in addition, obviously, we're going to have to work with the states and territories. So uh, we have put in this announcement capital money on the table, so to speak, to actually say, well, where is there uh, perhaps not access or not capacity to expand for three year olds and actually uh, look at how we expand for that. Um, but as a part of that, we recognise that 
um, we want parent choice in this. So whether that's a preschool program uh, in long day care or standalone preschool, uh, we want to ha- uh, ensure parents have the choice. And so a part of it is obviously extending the exemption of the activity test for 18 hours a week from four-year-olds to three-year-olds as well so that we're not having uh, that work work test um, that the government's put in actually be a barrier for three-year-olds accessing preschool in long day care. So we really um, have got to focus on a variety of settings, but what we want those settings to be, of course, is high quality. And high quality is critically important. Um, we know the evidence says it must be high quality uh, early education. Now, that's not in front of a blackboard. That is play-based learning. As me- all your listeners would know, been a little confusion out there in the public. Um, But of course, it has to be high quality. So that's why part of our announcement as well has been to restore the quality funding that has been cut uh, by the government. Um, We think that's really important um, to ensure that, you know, we're continually striving for improvement. Um, We should always be doing that. um, And that what we're offering um, the three and four year olds is, is a high quality program. Okay. So just to clarify there, so obviously you'll be looking at sort of, I guess, building on the current national partnership for universal access to education. Um, would you say there as well that the, the funding for the national quality agenda, Labor would be restoring that? Yeah, well? so oh, we, we, yeah, so we're going to restore the um, money for the national quality agenda, Wonderful. as well as, of course, um, the, through the national partnerships arrangements, um, fund um, children per student yeah. um, in an ongoing way to deliver deliver that benefit. But the quality funding will be back, back to 20 million a year Wonderful. because we think, um, we think that the states and territories and the Commonwealth need to work together in this space. Yeah. Um, there is dual responsibility and that's not a problem as long as people are working together. <laughs> and the Commonwealth not putting any money on the table for the quality <laughs> agenda sends a message that we're not interested. Now we Labor is interested, so we'll put that money back in uh, through a national partnerships agreement. That's great news. You probably just announced that and I missed it somewhere. (laughs) Um, uh, So you mentioned the states and territories. Obviously, Mm -hmm. um, the the original national partnership agreement was set up by Labor and was was developed in in consultation with the states and territories. The current government have um, been inconsistent, shall we say, mm. on the National Partnership Agreement is probably how I'd put it. But um, they, they've, they, they seem to be suggesting they want to pretty radically change the way that's funded and potentially see much less government funding. Mm. It sounds like Labor want to basically continue with a similar model. Are you hopeful? I mean, obviously, you're not currently in government. You're in opposition. Mm. But I imagine you're, you're meeting fairly regularly with, with um, the state and territory education ministers. Do you feel like there's... You're, you're positive that this can, can get up with the Look, and I do. We've put so much money on the table from the Commonwealth's perspective, um, $1.75 billion, <laughs> and that is just in the forward estimates, yeah. you know, and we're also, we've been talking about ongoing funding, permanent funding for this. So, look, um, we've put up significant money. So, And every state and territory is starting to move this way in some iteration. So whether it's for particularly disadvantaged children, whether it's for... um, the standalone kidneys in some places. And um, what we'll be doing is saying, look, let's just take it to the universal aspect. So I think we will uh, get uh, a good uh, outcome from states and territories. Dan Andrews um, from in Victoria stood up with us um, and announced it. And even in New South Wales, we've seen the expansion to community-based kindies. So I think already the states and territories in different ways are investing. And this is about saying, you're all doing 
part of the heavy lifting here. We're going to come in and really help and partner with you to make this universal and and universally accessible. Yeah. And I think um, there'll be, I'm sure, some tough negotiations <laughs> in that partnership agreement. But what we're not going to do is do the year on year. And we're not going to use sort of attendance rates as an excuse not to put any money in the budget Absolutely. We can, should, and we should um, discuss attendance rates and how we get continual improvement, how we get best bang for our buck. That, you know, I'm not against that. But I just don't think that you can have those negotiations with a starting point of we want to withdraw, which seems to be where the government's at at the moment. Yeah. Um, there's obviously been, and I'm sure you would have anticipated this, some negative reaction to the announcement. And I'm particularly interested in some of the, um, from some conservative media outlets, mm-hmm. um, mm. how... So do you think this comes down to a misunderstanding about early childhood education or do you think there are... Like how have you sort of had to respond to yeah, that? Yeah, so I think there's been an, a number of criticisms. I think um, there has been the group of people that have... Um, assume that early childhood education is only about workforce participation and so you've got the commentators that have said um, um, if uh, mums and dads aren't working they shouldn't be able to access this Um, and so that's been some commentary. There's been also some negative reaction um, with the concept I guess or the misunderstanding about preschool and what preschool is and I've been saying in all my interviews when we've had a bit of negative reaction been particularly perhaps um, hasn't been from parents I must say it's been perhaps from grandparents that you know have a different view of what preschool is and so this concept that they'll be in structured learning lined up in desks and probably what I've been saying is look we you know what we're talking about here is evidence-based it's play-based and importantly um, what it is is it's developmentally appropriate and we've got so much evidence about what that looks like Um, so I've been just reassuring people so there is a bit of work to do in that um, both with the fact that a parent should be looking after their children Um, I guess there's also been a reaction about are we spending too much on education in general Um, and my answer to that's pretty simple the answer is this isn't a cost this is an investment um, and if we don't start looking at like, at like this yeah. we'll be worse off for it yeah and I think you're right that, that, you're preaching to the choir here but um, I think it's, it's two things to me as well I think it's the it's not a cost it's an investment we also need to then look at the cost of not doing this and we're, we're actually seeing absolutely. that in PISA results and, and things where we're slipping in those rankings absolutely and I think that's the thing getting that that conversation going that what we're talking about is um, um, you know messy play and a range of other things but parents do get it I've been talking to a lot of parents and you know um, parents do understand that um, you know they are loving and provide really stimulating environments for their children but they're not always able to offer exactly the same that's available at preschool I know I'm not and um, parents around um, I think understand that you know the program is while play-based, something that they aren't fully able to deliver themselves at home. Okay, so the next thing I wanted to talk about is uh, the next day you made an announcement um, sort of as part of this uh, overall uh, plan for uh, preschool and kindy um, around TAFE places. So as part of a broad 100,000 places to become fee-free for TAFE, the 10,000 will be for, for early childhood Qualifications. Can you, I guess, can you take us through why, why, why you made that announcement and yeah. what, what you hope the impact will be? Look, what we know is that um, uh, teaching, um, you know, teaching uh, our next 
generation of educators is critically important. We want to have the, have them to have the best skills, but we don't want cost to be a barrier. And we know for many, um, cost is a barrier from following TAFE. Um, and um, so it's critically important, I think, that we say, we want the best and the brightest and we don't want cost to be a barrier for you. So that's part of our uh, uh, proposal. It's really to ensure that there is a good pipeline of early educators coming through and that we're able to deliver that. Um, of course, part of it also uh, is about recognising um, that it's predominantly women um, that take up uh, these opportunities and often, you know, fees can stand in the way if they're not the primary um, bread winner um, fees can be so, or well I'm not going to go and do that because you know that will cost a lot and a question about you know will I get enough in return our focus has been though on restoring TAFE as well as the central pillar of our education system and putting TAFE at the centre we know that TAFE is very high quality in terms of training I've often been approached and and look I need to say now there are a lot of good private providers in vocational education that deliver early childhood education but there are some substandard as well and I hear that uh, very much from centres and the sector that say you know if someone comes from that training organisation we think twice about employing them because we're concerned yeah. about the level of training that they've had so our focus has been uh, on this being delivered through TAFE as a high quality provider in terms of vocational education. Wonderful. So the workforce, I think, is one of the big challenges yeah. for the sector. Um, and this you know, announcement is a, is a great step to um, be addressing some of those recruitment um, mm. issues. Um, obviously, as part of the talk, going back to sort of the, the preschool announcement, yes. uh, yep. teachers are also Absolutely. a big requirement. So is that something you, you Labor is thinking about in terms Look, of... Absolutely. I mean, part of what we've already announced when it comes to universities is uncapping uh, the places at university again. We previously had a system that uncapped places at university and um, what we plan to do is, of course, uncap that to allow people the opportunity to go and um, um, to go and, and take those places up. Um, but, um, um, you know, certainly it's on my mind, um, both the challenges around expanding our preschool program, but also the quality framework that will require uh, two um, teachers by 2020. I know um, a lot of people are, you know, thinking how do we get there and, and what we what will we do to ensure that that happens? So that's certainly on my mind. Yeah. Um, uh, There's a lot happening in absolutely. education. Absolutely. <laughs> we shouldn't resile from that. And look, a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of the quality framework is done and congratulate everyone that has worked so hard over the last 10 years to um, actually deliver what has been such a significant quality framework. The last little bit <laughs> is that getting to 2020. Um, but, um, but I do think, um, you know, government should, you know, through with the states and territories, really consider how we do meet those demands for uh, uh, um, teachers into the future. Yeah, absolutely. And I know, um, uh, I know there's probably nothing you can announce or suggest today, but um, I, I know the Big Steps campaign has been has been rolling on, and professional wages <coughs> is sort of obviously another missing piece for educators. Um, we had some really positive comments, I think, from Bill Shorten yeah. Yeah. Um, about a month ago, and I was actually here at Parliament House when he, yeah. he made them. Um, you know, do you think? Um, 
you know, that's obviously going to continue to be an issue. And it's, again, is that something that sort of, you know, Labor's continuing to work on? Absolutely. Look, Labor has said, and our ministers have said, you know, in principle, we absolutely support a better deal for early educators. Um, they've been given a, a really rough deal, you know, looking at $22 an hour uh, is just, you know, undervaluing the work that early educators uh, do. Um, the question is, of course, you know, how you deliver uh, any um, wage increase and, you know, what mechanisms do you do do that through? Um, uh, of course, you don't want um, uh, parents to be out of pocket. And, of course, if government then, you know, supports that wage increase, um, you want to make sure it goes to those workers. Um, yeah. uh, you don't want it to be um, in some way... Uh, uh, directed to other activities because we know you know there's always capital pressures there's always uh, other pressures um, in in centers so you know so we're certainly working through about you know um, what that what that could look like how could the Fair Work Commission be better equipped um, to deliver a uh, uh, gender equity when it comes to pay. So we are looking at, you know, a range of different mechanisms uh, that have perhaps acted as a barrier in the past for early educators to get a fair deal and what those barriers might be and how you overcome them. Wonderful. And then the last thing, uh, I know you've, uh, you've given me far more of your time than I asked for. Um, this was an announcement actually a little bit before these other two, which um, I found really interesting. This was kind of around enrolment inducements and, and mm. free giveaways. Can you yeah. run us through that policy? Look, um, from time to time, I had been concerned in, in certain places around the country, um, there was advertisements coming up saying, um, if your child um, comes to our centre and locks in to a contract, um, we will give you a inducement such as a free iPad, two nights accommodation at a resort or $1,000 upfront cash. They are really, really concerning non-educational inducements. And it really takes the corporatisation of early learning to another level, in my view. Um, and look, um, not only that, but locking contracts where parents don't have the flexibility is a consumer a consumer issue as well. You know, parents don't know sometimes what they're signing up to um, and don't realise the penalty clauses that are in. So what we've clearly said is there's just no place for that. Um, we want to see the banning of non educational inducements we're not talking about you know putting on a cup of tea so you can hear about the plans um educational plans for the center in the next you know year or so we are talking about those non-educational inducements that are unrelated um so we've said that um we will set up a system in which people can uh report these types of inducements and then there's the potential we'll give the department the potential to stop ccs um if um we, we do find those non-educational educational inducements are being offered because you know we know that it, you know there's a really mixed model out there there is for profit there is non not for profit um so there is a mixed model out there but the court the real corporatization by you know sign up now pay later those types of um yeah. really you know things that we've seen in other areas that have really made people put people into debt <coughs> but also spending money which is effectively taxpayers' money on these things yeah. is pretty ridiculous. Have you received much feedback on the <coughs> on the policy? No, I haven't actually received a lot of feedback on the policy. Um, look, um, 
I actually think that it is only an issue in small pockets of yeah. Australia. I do not think it's widespread. However, it's saying that as we come to a scenario where there is oversupply in some places in the country, uh, we were really keen to nip it in the butt before it became a norm. We've seen that when it came to, for example, vocational education yeah. uh, and when governments had to act, it was when it had become a really big problem. So I guess I, I don't think it is a huge problem across the country um, but when we are looking at a scenario where some places in the country do have oversupply issues I don't want to see a scenario where we, it becomes the norm we have a whole lot of people that have been affected by it a whole lot of not-for-profit centres that just cannot offer that and are affected by it and being pushed out of the market um, so we just wanted to act now and send a really strong signal that if we are to win government we just will not be putting up with it. Wonderful well I think um, you know from the from perspective it's great to be seeing so much and so far away from potential election we're seeing announcements on early education policy so I think I want to thank uh, Amanda Rishworth and the Labor Party for putting that out there you've given us a lot to think about. I well think I, I just like to say thank you to all the advocates that have been in this space um, they, they've been fierce and and you know everyone as I said a really different model but when it comes to advocating for children and putting children in the centre everyone has come together across the sector and said um this is what is in the best interests of children, putting their own, uh, I guess, um, interests aside and, and doing it. And thank you all for uh, making sure that the Labor Party could not forget this as an issue. Wonderful. All right, Amanda Richard, thank you very much for your time today. So last week, the Labor Party announced two significant new early childhood education policies. One was very big. If Labor win the next election, they will provide funding for all three-year-olds in Australia to access preschool education. And then the day after that, they then announced that 10,000 educators would be able to access TAFE to study early education qualifications at no, at, a, at no cost. Quite why they chose to do that when they knew we'd be going on two weeks break is a bit annoying, but we know we're still happy they made the announcements. Um, now, Lisa and Leanne couldn't join me this week, but we, we really didn't want to go another week without discussing these big announcements. So I'm very excited to be joined today by Megan Mitchell, who's the director of the Mitchell Institute. Megan, welcome to the Early Education Show. Thanks for that, Liam. Uh, it's great to have you on. I think we, we have spoken to you on the podcast before, I think in a bit of a, in a I can't remember what we, we talked about, but I, I think we did gush about how much uh, we're big fans of the Mitchell Institute, so it's always great to talk to you. <laughs> Thanks. Um, do you want to maybe, before we sort of talk about the announcements, do you want to, for those who aren't aware of the Mitchell Institute, do you want to tell us a bit about what you do? Absolutely. Um, the Mitchell Institute is an education policy think tank based at Victoria University and we look at education from early years all the way through to higher education with the aim of making sure that all children and young people can get through the system and progress well in life. So I think that's that's fantastic and you, you put out a number of really fascinating reports, one of which I think we'll probably talk about in the context of the, uh, the three-year-old preschool announcement. Mm -hmm. But let, let's start there. This is actually a really significant uh, big announcement. Obviously, Labor are in opposition at the moment, and this is a policy they're going to be taking to the next election. But this is a pretty big moment for this, this idea, isn't it, Megan? Look, it's absolutely a big moment for this idea. It's something that we've been working on at the Mitchell Institute for about the last two years now. The idea that all children would benefit from an additional year of preschool. We know lots of kids at the moment are getting a high quality early learning experience for two years, but unfortunately that's not all children and that's something that does need to change. 
And I think so. This policy is quite can be quite confusing. I think it's interesting. We posted some stuff on it. We, we didn't record an episode on it, but we posted a bit on our Facebook page and our Twitter page. And a lot of the comments were coming about, you know, how does this work? We already have teachers in our early, you know, maybe in our birth to five centres, or you know, is this, you know, is this going to be running government preschools? I think one of the things to note here is that. Um, and this is where you can maybe correct me, Megan, but as the, as the policy expert on the podcast today, but the, the Labor are basically saying they all, their, their plan is to, they, they've committed funding, but their plan is to then go to the states and territories and, and kind of, um, and, and organize a system similar to the one currently for four year old preschool where the federal government tops up some of the, the state funding. That, that seems to be what they're suggesting, isn't it? Absolutely. I think that's a really important bit of detail in this policy announcement. It's not the federal government imposing their model on the states. It's building from the understanding that preschool does look different across Australia. Sometimes it's as part of the schooling system, sometimes it's predominantly in the long daycare system, and other times it's more through community preschools. So it's about the federal government working with the states to figure out what will work in their current context. And so I think we're if Labor win the next election, which is likely to be 2019, um, uh, Labor's announcement sort of indicates that there will be uh, that this will that this will basically be rolled out to about 700,000 Australian children. Um, it's going to cost 1.75 billion dollars, which is you know a, a fair amount. But it looks like we're probably not going to see the first three-year-olds go into the system until about. See, I'm desperately strong, actually scrolling through the press release here, and I can't quite find it. But I think it was going to be around about 2021. Um, the, well, with particularly with early education policy, a lot of time the devil's in the detail with this kind of stuff. We've we've had a lot of we've had a lot of problems, I think, with the current federal government and the the states and territories at the moment, sort of um, having some disagreements about funding. Do are you confident that the states and territories will actually get on board with this if Labor won the next election, or do you see any particular challenges? Um, look, there's always challenges in things, but. If we talk about, first of all, the idea of the states and territories getting on board, I think that's something that we could see happening into the future. If you look at that report that the States and Territories Commission lifting our game, it had as one of its key recommendations introducing three-year-old preschool. So the states and territories have already indicated that this is a path they want to go down. Over the last couple of weeks, we've seen a number of announcements from states and territories, even earlier than that, that they are considering or are indeed implementing three-year-old preschool. So I think states and territories will be quite delighted with the path that the federal government is wanting to go down. So what, a lot of the feedback from this proposal, and there's been, I think, you know, unsurprisingly in some of the conservative media in particular, um, there has been some some pushback on this policy that, that, that kind of centres around the idea that we're, you know, schooling children too young and why are we sending three-year-olds to, you know, sit behind a desk in a classroom? Have you seen some of that feedback? And, and you know, someone who I guess, um, as the director of the Minstrel Institute, you, you, you're particularly um, great at putting out, you know, the facts around these kind of things and why, you know, this, this two years of high-quality preschool are important. Um, you know, is, is there a good way to respond to that sort of feedback or is it kind of inevitable? Um, I don't think it's inevitable. I think it comes from a bit of a misunderstanding about what what preschool is and what play-based learning is. We tend to divide in Australia and elsewhere between play and learning. We think they're mutually exclusive. So before five, you're involved in play. After five, you actually start learning things. And, And I guess those of us that have worked in early childhood or indeed education for long enough know that isn't true. From the moment babies are born, they start learning and developing. And and one thing that I've been keen to see as part of this debate about three-year-old preschool, and we we do see it emerging slowly, is a better understanding about what children learn at three and four years of age. So the notion that 
being able to control yourself, being able to cope when you have a setback, when when your tower of blocks falls down. Those types of skills are really pertinent for, for children to learn when they're little and take into schooling because if they're not in place, actually sitting in a class and learning maths or English at the age of seven or eight, it just is so much harder. So we have to get get better at describing those really foundational skills, your foundational communication skills, your social skills, your emotional skills, and how they're developed in the three to five space. I think I think that's a fantastic point, Megan. I think as a sector, we haven't done a great job about articulating play-based learning to, mm-hmm. to the wider community. And I, also, I don't think it just sits with the sector, but you know, we do have a lot of uh, children and families accessing us every day. So I think that's something we need to think about. And a lot of the commentary I've seen really comes down to me about a lack of understanding about the kind of learning we're promoting yes. um, in these kind of spaces. Um, now, you mentioned the Lifting Our Game report, which you know I think was a significant catalyst for some of the thinking mm-hmm. around them, but you've been quite uh, quite humble, Megan. I think there's another big report that definitely would have fed into the conversation around this. Can you tell us a bit about, um, was this last year or the year before? I'm, I'm, I'm I think it was last year. Um, can you tell us about the, the report the Mitchell Institute put out, which is two years better than one? Maybe tell, I guess, why you felt the need to, to put that out and I guess, you know, what the main recommendations of that report were. Absolutely. Um, the Mitchell Institute started our foray, I guess, into early learning a bit over two years ago now when I came on board as director because I found the, the need to, to talk about how many young people, how many children are starting school behind. We've got about 60,000 kids a year that start school behind their peers. So we can't just be focusing our policy on schooling and on, on TAFE and higher education or we just won't get better outcomes for our children and our young people and for the economy. So that's, that's why we originally started focusing on the early year space and released our first report, Quality Early Education for All, a couple of years ago now. And as part of that report, we started delving into what do we think are the key levers where governments could make a change that would really make a difference to the lives of children and families. And what we found in sort of digging into the data underneath that was a significant number of children are going to three-year-old early learning. Some of them are getting a three-year-old preschool experience. And then most, most children, which we're so, I guess we're so thankful for how quickly Australia's advanced in that regard, are attending four-year-old preschool. So we thought that's a really prime spot for governments to intervene that wouldn't be, wouldn't be overwhelmingly costly and would actually have really pertinent benefits to children. And... Uh... I think one of the things your report sort of highlighted as well, and I know Lifting Our Game did this as well, is that three-year-old preschool is is much more common than I think the majority of the community thinks overseas, isn't it? A lot of our you know comparable countries are doing this kind of thing already, aren't they? Yes, absolutely. If we look sort of across the world, if you can look at Ireland or France or New Zealand or indeed lots of our Asian neighbours now are bringing in three-year-old preschool if they don't have it already because they're realising the cost of remedying the things that should be developed before kids turn five, trying to do that when a child is seven or eight, is just really costly and often you don't you don't get there. So our chance to make the biggest difference for children is actually before they start school. Absolutely. Um, now, obviously, the, the probably the next thing to talk about with this particular proposal is the the, the uh, Liberals and the National Government, so the current coalition government. So interestingly, interestingly they haven't come out and said... They wouldn't do something similar. They sort of they've had a go at how much it's likely to cost and the actual ability of the Labor government to deliver it. But I do find it really fascinating as they haven't ruled out doing such a thing 
themselves. Do you, I mean, it's always, I mean, particularly in Australian politics, but politics in general, it's a very bad idea to try and predict, you know, who'll be the Prime Minister tomorrow, let alone what policies they'll be articulating. But do you see this as a bit of an inevitable momentum towards, you know, this this becoming, you know, possibly even bipartisan policy? That would be pretty amazing, wouldn't it? That would be really amazing. I think we have seen a shift in the narrative around what early learning is. And indeed, even the terminology early learning is something that we weren't hearing probably three years ago. The fact that the coalition government hasn't come out and said, you know, absolutely not, we're taking that off the table, I think is quite heartening. They have come out and raised some concerns over participation, and we do know there are some groups of children that find it more challenging, or their families find it more challenging to get them to preschool than others, and I think that absolutely has to be looked at. But if you have two years of preschool, that provides you with so much more of an opportunity. I think some of the media commentary, and particularly the economists that have come on board as of late, to the debate around two years of preschool has been fantastic to see because we now see there's really quite compelling economic arguments coming up to in favour of this. It does feel like there's been a bit of a shift in the community and that there is, you know, you never want to get too optimistic, but it feels like there is a bit of a sense of inevitability mm. about this, which, you know, we can just, but I think that means we still need to keep, um, keep advocating and keep, you know, putting forth all the evidence around why this is so important. Um, but we might move on now, Megan, to the, the sort of second smaller announcement, but I think still pretty significant. So uh, the the day after that announcement, that was a busy week, I remember. It now. was. I had to do lots of, I had to do lots of writing. Um, uh, Labor came out and announced that as part of a wider um, TAFE policy, they would be uh, basically um, paying for the fees for about 10,000 uh, educators to study a children's services qualification um, at TAFEs. Now, um, this is, uh, I think, informed by some of the issues and uh, challenges faced by the workforce we've been seeing for quite a while, but um, Labor have directly linked this to their preschool funding announcement and talking about it as a wider package of reforms and uh, it, you know, ensuring we have enough educators, I guess, to meet the the requirements of you know more and more children accessing um, service. You know, what was your reaction to that announcement? Do you think it's 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 a it's a positive step? Look, I do think it's a positive step. We do know that any announcement like this about three-year-old preschool will have significant workforce implications. We will need to train up a lot more educators. What we do need to be looking at as well, and I think this is something that Labor's quite interested in, is workforce conditions, paying conditions. We can't yeah. keep on having the workforce turnover every seven years. You wouldn't. You wouldn't fathom in a primary school if your your child had, you know, four different prep teachers in a year. But this is a circumstance. Lots of our kids in early learning are facing because the workers just aren't paid enough to actually be able to pay the bills. So whilst it's fantastic that we've got that commitment to training training students in TAFE, we will need absolutely a similar commitment for universities. We do need to look at as well how can we reward and recognise our educators as part of this to ensure we build a really high quality system. I think that's great you brought that up, Megan. I think that is the real missing part of this. And actually, for me, it's been missing since 2012, since the mm. NQF was developed. I really wish we'd had a bit of a, a, an approach to kind of you know, begin to solve this problem then. I think you're right. I've heard you know, some interesting things from Labor over the last little while. They've had some, uh, Bill Shorten's made some public announcements, which indicates they're thinking about you know, an approach to solving yes. professional wages. But it is, uh, it is tricky to fix given the system we have. Um, I guess my question is, you kind of raised it there, is um, it's great that we're looking at, uh, you know, increasing the number of educators with a diploma or a certificate three qualification, but a lot of this really comes down to we actually need fundamentally more early childhood teachers in the sector. So not only um, are we looking at extending the current four-year-old provision to three-year-olds, but we're approaching a deadline with the NQF, which will pretty dramatically increase um, the number of educators required 
in uh, centres operating under the national quality framework. Do you think we need to be looking at maybe a separate announcement for, for university qualifications as well? Look, we definitely need to be looking at how we can get more teachers through the early childhood system, so through our universities and into centres. I think that has it has a huge amount of complexity associated with it. I know in Victoria here we've operated a scholarship system in the past and that hasn't been that that successful in actually getting educators through the system and that it all gets caught up at the end of the day in those paying conditions as well. So it is all part of the one picture. If we do actually want a sustainable sector moving forwards, we need to address both sides of the coin. I think every time we chat, Megan, I go, well, Megan, can you can Mitchell Institute just do a report on that? That would be wonderful. But um, so no pressure, but that would be great to see that one. But um, look, Megan, uh, thanks for taking the time to chatting with us about these two big announcements. We'll obviously be tracking them on the early education show um, as we come along. But if people want to find out more about the Mitchell Institute, where can they find you uh, online? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, www.mitchellinstitute.org.au. Wonderful. And, and I should say as well, as a, as a fellow uh, Twitter uh, lurker, um, you guys are also pretty active on, on Twitter, You're, yourself personally and a bunch of others from the Mitchell Institute. Um, so, you know, if you're the kind of person who's uh, looking for early childhood people to follow on Twitter, there aren't that many of us around, but uh, it's great to see you. We'll include all the links to those in the show notes. But Megan, thanks for joining the Early Education Show today. Not a problem. Thanks for your time, Liam. You have been listening to The Early Education Show, hosted by Lisa Bryant, Leanne Gibbs and Leah McNicholas and produced by Leah McNicholas. Find us online at earlyeducationshow.com and while you're there, it would be great if you could hit the Support the Show tab where you can become a patron of the show and support us for as little as $1 a month. We really appreciate it. Get in touch with us at earlyedushow at gmail.com or on Facebook and Twitter with the username earlyedushow. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast Store. This really helps other people find the show. See you next time.